Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And we have a really awesome podcast with Eli Seriak of Cushman Wakefield today. Welcome, Eli. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? Good. This is this is the third time on the pod. This is this is uh, I think only two or three people have ever been on three times. This is this is the ultimate validation. I know you're going to go home and tell your wife later today. Uh, exactly. I think I did. Uh, I think the second time I was on, I nudged ahead of Evan Maurer, but I think he's now, uh, I think he figured that out. And I think he's now several ahead of me. So I've got, I've got a work to do to catch up with him. Well, he also did the theme song. So he's, he's tough that's, to beat. That's fair. But, uh, I have no musical talent. So uh, Evan, Evan deserves that. But you do know real estate and that's what we're talking today. So San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and really kind of the startup real estate ecosystem in general. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now. We're taping this in uh, middle of June with COVID going, sounds, seems like COVID second wave coming right now. But, but what's what's your quick read on the real estate market, and and then we'll get into some very specific questions. So I'm I'm based in San Francisco, work primarily in San Francisco, but also uh, work uh, throughout the Bay Area and have have, have clients in other markets uh, as well. Uh, as you know, we uh, it was middle of March when we shut down for the pandemic, so we're now three months in, and San Francisco in particular very very slow to reopen. And that's been uh, very true of the commercial real estate market as well. There were a handful of things that we were working on uh, when the pandemic hit. Some of those we've powered through and got deals done and are opening up new offices for clients. Uh, but for the most part, things are things are shut down and there's a lot of sublease space that's on the market uh, and there's just not a lot of touring activity. There's not a lot of deal activity. So in many ways, the, the commercial real estate market uh, is, a, is essentially shut down. Yeah. When you say shut down, is it like, is it because the gap between buyers and buyers and sellers, quote unquote, is so, so huge? Or is it just like people don't want real estate at any price? You know, it's 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 kind of hard for me to tell what's really happening under the surface. Yeah. So I think to, to the extent people have leases expiring or or need to make decisions, they are. And then to the extent um, a couple of the leases we completed recently, uh, one was with an online gaming company um, who it's it's a very solid business and their business has not been 
negatively affected by the pandemic. Um, and there was another lease that we finished recently with a cybersecurity company, uh, which is a startup that's doing uh, very, very well and just, just raised a lot of money. So those types of businesses are still out there and taking space. But anybody that doesn't have to make a decision right now, for a lot of people, they're just putting things on hold. And I think part of that, too, is people yeah. um, in, in San Francisco in particular have been and, and this is both managers and employees have been very reluctant to get back to work, much more so than in some other regions where we have clients where where um, things have not been quite as dramatically as affected. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of and, and again, we're taping this in the middle of June where it feels like the COVID numbers are, are creeping up across the country. We don't really know. Probably by the time people listen to this, there'll be a lot more clarity there. But yeah, it's, it seems like. Why, why would you crowd into a WeWork space or a big office building or something like that if you don't have to? You know, it just seems like kind of a, a risk not worth taking to me, at least at least like cruise. I mean, we've said, I mean, we were remote anyway, so it hasn't really been that huge of an issue for us. But we've told our San Francisco and San Jose teams that they can just work from home indefinitely, you know, but like. So do, you, so do you see, like, I know there's been a lot of companies trying to get out of their leases too, whether it's because they don't want their employees to come back to work because of health reasons or just because they had to like cut their burn rate. I mean, what, what are the tactics and what are you seeing in that, in that aspect? Yeah. And there's, there's a couple um, different things I'll hit on there, Scott, before I address getting out of leases, um, just wanted to make a point about um, people not using their offices. One thing is for the most part, there are very few companies that are saying we're, uh, we are going to go 100% remote as a result of that. Um, I think almost everyone has realized that remote work can be very effective, and there's probably some people that can do remote work full time. But I think for a lot of companies, even if they're going to give their employees more flexibility, they still want to have a physical footprint. So we aren't seeing. We've had a handful of clients, and they and they tend to be smaller teams, 10 to 15 people or less, that have figured out that. Remote work is fine. They prefer to save the money by not having an office and and they feel like the work can get done. I think for bigger organizations, it is still pretty critical to have a physical footprint, even if they may not be using that physical footprint for the next two or three months or maybe even not for the rest of the year. So there's that yeah. so there's that dynamic that's going on. So it it's not like demand has completely one hundred percent disappeared. There's just not really new new demand and a ton of new tenants coming into the market. Yeah. Also on the demand side, it seems like a lot of companies want to do want to enable the drop in, you know, quote unquote drop in, where they they visualize their employees working from home a couple of days a week and then working from the office a couple of days a week. And and kind of a I haven't read like anything online where people are talking about like I haven't seen like a really good structure for that. Like, oh, we're gonna you know, rotate every other day, certain people or things like that. It seems to be kind of lazy fair right now, but like, it seems like that is where things are going, where people are going to have a drop in culture, or maybe, you know, you, you meet the same days as your group meets at the physical office a couple of days a week. And then the rest of the time you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I think that's right. And since the dawn of the internet 20, 25 years ago, we've been talking about remote work and, and teleworking and, and that you wouldn't have a physical desk at your office. You would just show up and it, and, and you would, it would be more of a hoteling type situation. But most companies, we've been talking about that for 20 or 25 years. And it's only yeah. happened 
now because it was basically yeah. forced upon us. And, Needed. Yeah. Yeah. and I think a lot of, and I do think we are going to see a lot more of that going forward where there is a lot more flexibility uh, built in for companies. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. It's also maybe a generational thing where like we have, my wife is a millennial. We have a lot of millennials that work at cruise consulting and, and that age bracket really uh, appreciates flexibility. That's like kind of one of their core values. And so that could be a function of that too, where as people who grew up working in more traditional office environments, like myself, I'm 43 now, you know, as we get older, the millennial workforce replaces us and there may be more people who value that flexibility. Yeah. I'm, I'm also 43 and this has been, I, I've always been a, I need to be in the office kind of, kind of person and I'm going to be more productive in the office. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that, but having been forced to work from home for the past few months, I've realized that, that there is a lot of work that I can get done at home that I just never realized before. And maybe, yeah. maybe going forward, I'm a person who's in the office three or four days a week and works from home one, one to two days. Before. Yeah. I think that's going to be me too. Uh, I really, I like the structure it brings. So, well, Hey, so we got a couple, couple topics here to talk about. So the first one you brought up before turning the mics on, which I love, I think this is really interesting which is the dichotomy between urban and suburban real estate markets, like office real estate. And maybe you could talk a little about that. Sure. So for the tech boom for the last 10 years, San Francisco was a huge beneficiary of that. It was actually very different from uh, previous cycles where I would say two thirds of the tech growth that happened in the Bay Area uh, happened in San Francisco in this last cycle. And maybe a third was down in, in Silicon Valley. And in the past, almost all of the, that was reversed. Like the most companies, sometimes you'd have startups in San Francisco, but they would get to a certain size and they would and do their Silicon Valley campus. And that and that the idea of an urban campus became popularized during the last 10 years. And it was a lot of that was around millennial workforce. People in their 20s and 30s wanted to live in cities, uh, wanted to wanted to work in cities, but also all the good things about living in cities, the, the restaurants, the bars, the culture dating uh, circle of, you know, socializing. And so that really shifted in the last 10 years and, and San Francisco really benefited from that. But it seems like we're going to see a shift now where, frankly, there's just a lot of things about as long as, as, long as we're in a pandemic, a sub suburban offices seem safer. Uh, you, you can yeah. drive, you're, you're interacting with less people on the, on the way into the office and activity has been very slow to pick up in San Francisco. It has picked up in Silicon Valley. It's picked up in some other suburban markets and, and part of the country as well. So I think we'll, and I don't know if that's going to be a permanent shift, but I do think for the next year or two that places like San Francisco will, will struggle compared to places like Silicon Valley or other more suburban style markets. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. When I, when I started my first in 1999, I was working at Hamburg and Quist, it became JP Morgan, but like every, everyone else who worked in finance or venture capital or something like that was that related to startups was working in the Valley. And then in 2002, I started working in the Valley and I commuted for nine years. <laughs> so like, but I mean the whole, I mean, I can't even imagine what my twenties would have been like if I could have just worked in the San Francisco the whole time. So I was driving, down the Menlo Park and back every single day, except for Fridays. I worked at home on Fridays. 
for nine years. So yeah, the culture really did shift quite a bit. And and what what I've heard in we you know we've been looking for to to hopefully buy a house at some point. And our real estate agent has been telling us that like houses in Marin and the East Bay are selling really quickly, whereas the San Francisco market seems to be kind of frozen for residential real estate. And our our residential real estate person was saying like he thinks it's because people want to get out of the city and they want to you know they want to have more space, and especially if there's more shelter in place kind of stuff, and have a backyard and things like that. And that that direct you know if, if consumer preferences switch that much, then the course is going to reverberate back into the office market, right? And so it sounds like that's what you're seeing a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. And the San Francisco office market, we have we have seen a ton of sublease space hit the market. There's now 40% of the space that's available in San Francisco is sublease space. So 40% is sublease, 60% is direct through landlords. Typically, that's, wow. that's 15 to 20%. And that trend wow. was already starting to happen pre- March pre-pandemic, the trend was starting to happen because San Francisco is so, is so expensive that a lot of the tech companies that were here were already starting to sublease space and move to places like Denver or Austin or or Phoenix where where uh, or Nashville where where rents are more attractive and and labor's cheaper and also your your workforce can can afford a nicer lifestyle with a with the same salary or with a with a smaller salary. So we're already seeing that trend pre-pandemic of companies starting to leave San Francisco or, or shift certain jobs out of San Francisco. And then with the with the pandemic, we've seen we've seen a lot more. So San Francisco has been very hard hit. And that's not as there's not nearly as much sublease space in Silicon Valley or the East Bay or farther out in Sacramento as as a percentage of the market. It's definitely we will see more in all those markets, but not nearly on the same scale that we're seeing in San Francisco. Wow. And that's going to drive crazy. pricing down. That's crazy. And well, also like San Francisco has the gross receipts tax and the SF payroll tax. I mean, there's a lot of taxes that you have to pay if you have a huge workforce here of any workforce, but really if your workforce gets big. So like it's, it already made, like you said, we saw a lot of companies last year in 2019 moving to like Austin or, putting like a big call center or um, customer support team in Phoenix or things like that. So in Denver, there's a lot of companies moving to Denver. So we're, yeah, we see the same thing you're saying. So I don't know, it's, it's getting kind of crazy. I'm still, I'm still a long-term bullish because this is, this is the third cycle of people moving out of San Francisco that I've seen. So I started my career in 1999 and in 2001, it was a ghost town, you know, 2002 ghost town. And slowly built it back, itself back up. And 2008, it got really quiet too. And you know, for a couple of years, it was really quiet. And then a bunch of these good companies were started in San Francisco because partially the real estate was so cheap, uh, and you could get a startup office really inexpensively. And so the it seems like this is the cycle of city. We're kind of a boom and bust city. So I'm not really that phased by it, but it it is it is for some companies. It's really tough to get out of your leases. It, it just always is. And for others, it's going to be a pretty big opportunity, I think. And to go back to you asked a question earlier about getting out of your lease. And the the reality is almost all commercial leases are written so that if there's no out clause for a, for a pandemic, it, it, landlords and people who write insurance policies are very good at, at figuring out the uh, 
I, I think everybody learned in the last few months that your uh, somehow business interruption insurance, which seems like it would be for exactly this scenario, uh, all seems to have a pandemic exclusion. So it, it doesn't oh, actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. my God. But, but, and, but yeah. Um, and but commercial leases, the concept of just breaking your lease and and walking mid lease is is something that you would you would want to be probably not do it all. Definitely be extremely cautious and absolutely consult an attorney if you're going to do it, because there are credit risks and other risks that go go along with with defaulting on your lease. So, I mean, there are a lot of retail like retail tenants in particular are, you know, some of them are simply not paying rent um, and some of them are, are working out out deals with uh, with their landlords, but you need to have a certainly consult an attorney and de- and definitely have a dialogue with your landlord before you start trying to do anything because a lot of times the you know the risk the risk can outweigh the the potential benefits. Yeah, I mean, I think let's get into that a little bit because I've had a few people ask me this, and it is your lease is unsecured debt. Like you are, it is debt. You are on the hook. There's no like. There's no getting out of that. And even, you know, people maybe don't want to pay or whatever, but it's like, that that is a, they're effectively a lender to you and they can take you, they can take you all the way. They can put you, you know, they would have to team up with a couple other people who you owe money to, to put you in bankruptcy, but it's, they have some real ramifications. And so you do have to work with your landlord and just can't get out of it because you don't want to pay. That's, that's kind of like a, you know, you need to be more, more mature than that. Um, there is one we were joking around before we got on because there's a catchphrase that's come up, which is blend and extend. And maybe you can you can explain what that means to the audience and if you're advising any of your clients on it. Sure. So blend and extend was a um, I, I started my career in the Bay Area similar to you in uh, I started in 2000. And so blend and extend was a I got into real estate at what I thought was the dot com boom, but very quickly figured out was the dot com bust. Uh, so. <laughs> Got to learn uh, phrases like blend and extend. So the, the concept of blend and extend is basically if if rents have gone down and you have a little bit of time left on your lease, you can, uh, let's say you're paying $80 a square foot and the market goes to $60 a square foot. The idea is that you would effectively, depending on how much time's left on the lease, you might do a new, a new deal at $70 a square foot um, and lower your rent immediately. That's the very kind of oversimplified version. Well, you extend the time period of that seventy dollar. You know, you'd you'd give them another it, year or something. It, yeah, like that, exactly. Right? And and so it, it depends on. I mean, there's all sorts of factors. It's it's what rent are you paying? What is the market? What is the market at? There's always. I mean, there's always. Uh, even when your lease is up, there's always a negotiation around between the tenant and landlord on what the market is at. There's there's uh, different views around that. And so I think blend and extend is. It's absolutely something tenants should be looking at. I I do think in this environment, we don't know because the markets have been, I wouldn't call them closed, but because there's been so little activity, we don't really have true pricing data and rents are going to, are going to come down and they're going to, they're going to come down, uh, I think more over the, there hasn't been, been a big price adjustment already. So I, so I do think, if you're thinking, if you are a tenant and thinking about a blend and extend, one thing to look at is, in my view, you're probably going to be a little better off, maybe a lot better off a few months from now than, than trying to strike that deal today. But part of that comes down to, do you need, 
it, it, it needs to be personalized to each individual business. If you're at risk of default or if your rent payments are really a major drag on on the business and if you're having cash flow issues that you think are going to get better in the next few months, maybe you do strike a deal now um, because yeah. the, the immediate rent relief is is more important. But if you have a little more runway, I would on the tenant side, wait until the markets open back up a little bit because um, I mean, I'll just I'll just share an example. We've done a, a few surveys for clients recently to clients that have leases up at the end of the year or early next year and just trying to get a sense of what pricing, what rents might look like for them. It, any of the landlords that I call or landlord brokers that I call, it, it's it's almost the same conversation every time. It's the last deal we did before the pandemic was 95 bucks. And we think maybe rents are going to go down five or 10 percent, but they haven't even really lowered their rent yet. They, they're just kind of waiting for things to open back up. Um, if you look at subleasing, you can actually get pricing data on subleases because anybody that has a sublease space on the market just wants to get a deal done as quickly as possible. And so they typically have it priced in a way that it's going to move a little more quickly, whereas landlords have a whole building. And if they lower their rent on, on one space, all of a sudden they lower their rent for the whole building. And so landlords are more reluctant to adjust pricing in most circumstances. They also have an interest in just talking the market up, you know, like they don't, they want, they don't want to have an inkling of weakness or else, you know, that's when the dam breaks kind of thing. So you're right. You can't really look to them to, to give you accurate pricing yeah. data, but the sublease data you're talking about is probably, probably has very few data points because there's probably not too many people signing a sublease. Yeah, but right? you can get, you can get the asking rents. And so, so there's, there's good, there's good ah. data. There, there are not a ton of actual comps in taking rents out there, but you can get the asking rents. And and so that's a start. But when we look at the, we're still assuming that a lot of the asking rent data is going to, is going to come down. So if somebody's asking $65 or $75 on a sublease, the deal, the deal's not happening above that. And it's, and it's probably happening somewhere below that. So that's kind of how you get pricing discovery on what, what the market might look like. I think we show, our average rents in San Francisco right now are about $78 a square foot. They were $82 pre-pandemic, so a slight decrease, but not a major decrease. And But if we look at most of the subleases we look at are priced at, not all of them, but most of them are, are priced at $75 or less. And we think that the actual mm. transactions will happen below those numbers. So Shorter answer is for, you know, if, if, if you need to go make a decision now as a tenant, do it and, and you'll have a lot of bargaining power. But particularly for people that can delay the decision for a few months, you are going to have uh, a lot more options and, and much better pricing. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's good advice. So because I would I would think the deals would be getting done like in the 40s or 50s on subleasing, like half price basically would be my shorthand. But Cause like there just seems to be so many options, you know, so many people trying to cut space, but, but who knows, I guess, it, I guess it's like such a one-off and also the people who are listing these places, obviously a lot of times they're working with the agent like you, but they're also just kind of like VPs of finances or controllers or, you know, someone at a startup who's not, who doesn't really know much about real estate. I mean, so they could, they could just be listing things based on a discount to what they're paying instead of, listing in of what the true market clearing price is, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing is because activity still has not picked up that much yet that the market clearing price 
if you think the market clearing price is $45. If there's no demand, it like the you know <laughs> the point of a market clearing price is you get a deal done. But if there's if yeah. if, if the demand is still not there, then it, it, there's less incentive to put it out at that aggressive price. I, I have subleases on the market for a handful of clients right now, and we've cut prices on on a couple of them recently, and we still haven't had tours. So it's sort of, I think we're priced probably correctly, but it doesn't it doesn't matter if if there's no touring activity. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So no one's even looking at them. That's crazy. Do you, do you see like this being a big shift into some of the other tech startup cities? Like is Austin and Salt Lake City 10 years from now going to start you know, maybe not exactly the same, but start rivaling San Francisco. It feels like the seeds for those cities' greatness are being sown right now. I, I think so. And, and I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is you and I have both been here long enough that we've seen these San Francisco, it's dead. And, you know, we saw it in 2000, we saw it in 2008. And a year or two later, it was booming and, and doing well. So, so I think you said this earlier, but but San Francisco is one of the most cyclical real estate markets, if not the most cyclical real estate market in the in the country. Our our, our booms are really high, our busts are really low, but but I, you know, we'll be back. I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um, but I do think, and some of that is, I do think Denver, Austin, Nashville, some of these other cities that we've we've talked about, I I, I do think they'll benefit, and some of it is pandemic related and a change in how we work. But a lot of it is, it's just so expensive to live here and do business here. And that was the trend that we were seeing pre-pandemic. And I think that is cost of housing, for example, um, is such a drain on so many people in the region. Um, I mean, there are good reasons for that. There's strong economy and it's a great place to live. So that's why part of the reason why housing is high, but we've also underproduced housing in California for for decades. And so that as much as the pandemic and economic fallout is going to in the long run, I think hurt us and and I think some of those other cities we mentioned are will benefit as a result. So hopefully we see changes in some of those policies. I'm not I think there's a groundswell for that, but California's been which is so progressive in so many other regards has just failed on housing policy for, for decades. Oh, supply and demand, supply and demand. We just need to build more. Well, Hey, how can, um, do you have any parting thoughts and maybe you can also just let the audience know how they can look you up. And before you, before you do the parting thoughts, just want to give a quick uh, shout out to you for being our agent for many years. Thank you for all the help and advice you've given us. And you, not only do you find us new space every year, as we were growing really fast, but you also helped us sublet the old space. So thank you for doing that. And there's nothing more terrifying than having two signed leases uh, as a startup. So thank you. I, I still remember those days where we were trying to sublease the office by Union Square and I'm glad we got it done. So if you're a startup out here out there and you're listening to this podcast, Eli is an amazing person that represents you and advise you in uh, office real estate. And, and I, I, do, I do agree with him that people are gonna need something uh, you know, you may have it, it may be half the size or because of social distancing, you may actually go back to the same size office that we, that we all used to have. Uh, but regardless, Eli is just a pleasure to work with. Thanks Scott. You too. You guys have always been great to work with as well. Thanks man. Well, maybe any parting thoughts and then let the audience know how they can get a hold of you. So as far as parting thoughts, I, on, on the tenant side, as I mentioned already, I think you want to 
just really assess what your needs are, figure, start looking internally about how many people are going to be working full-time in the office, how many people are going to have flexibility, how many people are going to be remote full-time. And so I think from that perspective, that that's an important thing for, for companies to start doing. Um, and as you gather that information over the next few weeks or months, the, the market's going to be a lot more favorable for you, whether that's better rents, more flexibility on term, just having more options to pick from, finding space that's already furnished, any of the, any of those things. So, so that's how I would approach it. Uh, in terms of how to get in touch with me, first name is E-L-I, last name is C-E-R-Y-A-K. Email is Eli.Syriac at Cushwake.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, Syriac Eli. Those are the best ways to get in touch with me. All right. You've been a pleasure. Great job. Great insights. And I always enjoy our annual uh, real estate. And you know, it's going to be kind of fun. We'll look back a few few more years from now and be like, wow, we could, we'll actually be able to track the real estate market by our conversations on the podcast. It's, it's pretty cool. Agreed. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for coming by. All right. Thanks, Scott. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Owens.